Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be together. It's a beautiful day God has given us. I realize that it's been hot in the valley the last few days, but we are blessed to have this wonderful building, this wonderful meeting place with air conditioning so we can come together to worship God, and we're grateful. We're so grateful for that, so glad to see all of you. I invite you to please get out your Bible, please, and go into your Old Testament this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 28. Will you please make your way in your Bible to 1 Samuel 28? The vast majority of our study is going to come from right there, so you can just park yourself right there in 1 Samuel 28. As you turn to 1 Samuel 28 this morning, I want to begin by asking you a question. And my question is this. Do you want to know, you want to know the future? Do you want to know the future? If you do want to know the future, what exactly do you want to know about the future? Do you want to know who's going to win the next presidential election? You want to know if your favorite sports team is going to win a championship? And if so, when exactly is that going to be? I definitely would like to know something like that. Do you want to know what your kids are going to be when they grow up? and who they're going to marry, and where are they going to live? Do you want to know when the Lord exactly is going to come back, and when the world is going to end, and do you want to know when you're going to die? If you could, do you want to know exactly how much longer you have on this earth? I want to suggest that if you want to know the future this morning, you might change your mind about that. After we consider this chapter that's before us this morning, you see here in the chapter before us this morning in 1 Samuel 28, we read about a very disturbing episode that occurred in the life of King Saul. Remember King Saul? Remember King Saul was someone who started out well as a king. He started out with a lot of promise and a lot of potential and a lot of success, but due to his own paranoia and jealousy and envy and rage and disobedience to God, he was eventually fired by God. He was eventually rejected by God as the king of Israel. God took away his throne and he decided to give it to a man after his own heart. Saul is one of the biggest disappointments that we could read about in the Bible. In fact, here in 1 Samuel 28, we find Saul in what may be the lowest moment of his life. We find him desperate and continuing to defy God and desiring to even know the future. Look at 1 Samuel 28, beginning with verse number 1. In verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war, to fight against Israel and Achish, Achish the king of the Philistines, he said to David, Know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. And David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard or my head keeper. And David certainly knows about keeping heads, doesn't he? Remember Goliath? I'll make you my bodyguard and my head keeper for life. Now, let's just pause right there for just a moment. Notice how as this chapter opens up, we find David having a conversation with the king of the Philistines. He's having a conversation, a friendly conversation with King Achish. How in the world did that happen? 
How in the world does David find himself in this situation when he's actually having a friendly conversation with the king who is the enemy of God's people? Well, remember what we studied in our, in our last study concerning David. Remember in our last study, we found David and his, and his entourage of men. There are about 600 guys with David at this time, and they are continuing to run and hide from Saul. Remember, they are wandering from one wilderness to the next. And during that time, David actually has a couple opportunities to kill Saul. He has an opportunity to kill him. And 1 Samuel 24, we studied that chapter a couple of months ago. And he also has another opportunity to kill him later in 1 Samuel 26. You see, no matter what evil Saul does to David, David won't mess with him. He has opportunities to kill Saul, but he won't kill him. His conscience and respect for God won't allow him to harm Saul. It won't allow him to touch God's anointed. He will not retaliate and seek vengeance against his enemy. In fact, it is interesting that while Saul does emit some evil, and he somewhat repents and promises to not mess with David anymore after David spared his life in 1 Samuel 26, David still doesn't trust him. He doesn't trust him. He, he doesn't trust that Saul has truly repented and conquered his jealousy and his envy and his rage. David knows that Saul's repentance, well, it never lasts for very long. And so that's why when you get to chapter 27, the chapter before this one, you find David and his 600 men and also these men's wives and children. They go to the land of the Philistines to find refuge. They actually go into the land where the enemies of God's people are to find protection. Keep in mind that up to this point, David is the most well-known soldier in all of Israel. Uh, up to this point, by this time, David has killed the greatest warrior among the Philistines. He's killed Goliath, the Philistine giant. By this time, David has literally killed thousands and thousands of Philistines. I mean, what he is doing here goes far beyond switching jerseys and playing for another team. This goes far beyond Devin Booker leaving the Suns to go play for the, for the Lakers. No, what David is doing here is he is seeking help from the enemies of God. He's actually going to the enemies of God for protection against King Saul in a time of war. He asks a heathen king if he and his entire army and their wives and their children can find refuge in their land, and they're going to give it to him. They're going to give him protection and refuge. In fact, beyond letting David... And his entire army live in the land of the Philistines. When this chapter opens up, 1 Samuel 28, we see that David is so charismatic. And he's so charming. And he's so persuasive that he's even able to gain the king's trust. We're learning something about David's personality here. We learn that he's a charming man. He has a great personality. He's very persuasive. The king of the Philistines, think about this. The king of the enemies of God's people is actually convinced now that David is on their side. 
and he even asks David to be his bodyguard for life. And he also wants to know if David and his men are going to come out and battle with them against his people, the Israelites. That's what's going on here. You know what that means? That means that when this chapter opens up, David finds himself in a sticky situation, right? He is between a rock and a hard place. He has gained the trust of King Achish. And King Achish wants to know, you're going to come out to battle with us against your people, the Israelites. That means that David's going to have to go fight against uncles and aunts and cousins and members of his own family. He's in a very sticky situation when this chapter opens up. But this chapter is not so much about David as it is about King Saul. This chapter is more about Saul than it is about David. So let's keep reading to verse 3. Verse 3 says, Now Samuel was dead, and all of Israel lamented him and buried him at Ramah, his own city. Now, we already learned this information back in chapter 25, but there's a reason why it's being told to us again. And we'll see that as we keep reading. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. Now, there's a reason why that's being said to us as well. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem, and Saul gathered all of Israel together, and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urium or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, See for me a woman who's a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman who's a medium at Endor. Now let's just stop right there. Notice how during this time when David is seeking refuge among the Philistines, the scripture says that the Philistines are winning. They are winning against the Israelites. They have invaded the land of Israel. They are overrunning the people of Israel. They are pushing them further and further to the north. If you go home and get you a Bible map out, you're going to see that the place where the Philistines are at this time, where they live, their territory is actually more to the south along the coast. And these places in Israel that's being mentioned are more to the north. Shunem is more to the north. Mount Gilboa is more to the north. What this is telling us is at this time, the Philistines have pushed the people of God more and more to the north in their own land. They have pushed them more and more to the north in their own land. And a big reason for that, you ready for this? A big reason for that is Saul. It's Saul's bad leadership. It's the fact that Saul is an awful king. While Saul is out chasing and trying to murder an innocent man, the real enemy of God's people, they're making progress. They are invading the land of Israel. They have conquered territory. They are now gathered against them for battle in the northern part of Israel. The, the Philistines have pushed Israel more to the north. And they've gathered before them in battle near Mount Gilboa, and Saul is, is afraid. He is, he is afraid when he sees the Philistine army. The text specifically says that his heart trembled greatly. He is terrified. He is terrified just like he was terrified when he saw Goliath on the battlefield in the Valley of Elah. It's the same Saul. 
He was afraid then, and he's afraid now. And in his fear, he seeks counsel from God. He, he seeks wisdom from God. He inquires of God, what should I do? And the text says God doesn't answer him. God doesn't answer Saul. Saul has spent several years rejecting God and disobeying God and abandoning God. And now God has abandoned him. God has rejected him. God won't speak to him anymore. God won't provide him any kind of help. God won't give him any kind of guidance and any kind of counsel. God has removed himself completely from Saul's life. And in his desperation, he seeks help from a wicked person. He seeks help from a medium or from a witch. Now, for our young people here, when the scripture says that Saul is seeking help from a medium or from a witch, some translations say, please understand that when the Bible is using the word witch here, it's not talking about that lady you may see on the Wizard of Oz. It's not talking about a woman with a pointy nose and a green face and a big hat and who wears and who rides a, a magic broom. No, the person being described here is a person who performs witchcraft. This is a sorcerer. This is someone who claims to have access to the spiritual world. This is someone who claims to be able to do something that only God can do, and that is predict the future. This is an enemy of God. This is an opponent of God. That's who we're talking about here. In fact, if you look back at verse 3, in verse 3, the text says that by this time, Saul had removed these people out of Israel. Do you see that? The text says that Saul had removed the spiritists and the mediums and the witches. That was the right thing for him to do. That's exactly what God wanted him to do. But now look at what he's doing. Now he's seeking their help. The rules don't apply to me. Do as I say, not as I do. The rules don't apply to Saul. He's seeking help from evil people that God wanted removed from the land. He's seeking help from a medium, a sorcerer, a witch, and his servants find him one in Endor. She's an Endor. And so let's keep going here in verse number eight. In verse eight, it says, then Saul disguised himself. Why are you disguising yourself, Saul? Because you know you're up to no good. You're doing evil. You're being a hypocrite. He disguised himself by putting on other clothes and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. Why are you going by night? Again, you're up to no good. You're trying to cover this in the, in the darkness. And he said, conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. Notice here how Saul really believes this. He believes this stuff. Saul believes in witchcraft. He believes that this woman can really do that. That's why he's asking for her help. And so verse 9 says, the woman said to him, behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut me, cut off those who are mediums and spirits from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring me about to death? She doesn't know she's talking to Saul. She's like, you know, I'm not supposed to be doing this. You know, Saul kicked all of us out of Israel. We're supposed to all be gone. You're setting me up. She doesn't realize who she's talking to. And then in verse 10, Saul vowed to her by the Lord saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Stop right there. Please don't ever do that. 
please let us never do that. Let us never promise to do evil in the name of the Lord. This man is promising to do something wicked in the name of the Lord. The Lord wants these people out of Israel, but he's promising by God's name. He's going to protect her. That's how wicked he has become by this time. And so verse 11 says, the woman says, she's, she's feeling okay, she's secure now. Who shall, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? Now some kind of way she knows it's Saul. How does she know that? I have no idea. I just know she knows now this is Saul. She's been talking to Saul the whole time. That's what the text says. She said, you deceived me for your Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine, some of your translations say spirit, being, being coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up. And he's wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed his face to the ground and did homage. And Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me. And God has departed from me, no longer answers me either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you will make known to me what I should do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me? Since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary. Oh, my goodness. The Lord has done accordingly as he has spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David as you did not obey the Lord and did I execute his fierce wrath on Amalek. So the Lord has done this thing to you this day. This is coming from the Lord. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of, the, of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Let's stop there. I want you to notice a few important observations very quickly from this text. This is a very interesting text that we find in the Old Testament. And so notice a few things very quickly. First, notice this. Notice how here on this occasion... When Saul is in indoor, we find God getting involved. Do you see that? God gets involved here. That is the only reason why Saul is able to talk to Samuel. Please understand that this woman, this medium, this witch, is not the source of what's going on here. She is not the source of Saul being able to speak to Samuel while he is dead. She has no real power. She is not a legitimate miracle worker. She probably has been deceiving and scheming and tricking people for many, many years. She's like the palm readers and the fortune tellers and the people who believe in Ouija boards and, and they believe in horoscopes, those kind of people we have in our world today. That's what she is. That's what she is. She's not a real miracle worker. She has no real power. She is not a worker of God. In fact, notice how she is shocked when Samuel shows up. She is shocked by that. She is shocked when Samuel starts communicating from the dead, having an actual interaction with a dead person. That is clearly not a normal occurrence for this witch. She is shocked by this. But this is happening because God is involved. God is involved here. God is allowing Samuel to communicate with Saul. And 
Notice how Samuel's not happy. Do you see that? You get the impression he's not happy? Samuel's not happy, is he? Samuel is very frustrated and he is angry with Saul. You see, since God is not communicating with Saul anymore, Saul says, I'm going to try to bypass God and I'm just going to go to Samuel. I want Samuel to tell me what to do. Maybe Samuel can give me some wisdom. Maybe Samuel can help me out. And Samuel shows up by the power of God and he chews him out. He chews him out. He tells him that he has disturbed him. And that God has departed from him and he is an enemy of God. He tells him that since he has committed himself to disobeying God and rebelling against the will of God, God has taken away his throne. God has abandoned him and he has given his throne to David. He tells him that David is still in God's plans. But guess what? He's going to die. He tells Saul, you're going to die. And you're going to die very soon. You're going to die tomorrow. You and your sons are going to die on the battlefield and God is going to give the victory to the Philistines. Samuel's got some bad news. He's got bad news for Saul's future. And you know what? That news, that news broke him. It broke him. We don't have time to read the rest of the chapter this morning, but if you go home and read the rest of that chapter, you're going to see this. You're going to see that after hearing Samuel predict his future, Saul falls down. He falls down. He probably passes out. He probably faints. And he becomes even more afraid than he was before, and he doesn't want to eat anything. He loses his appetite, and when he finally is forced to eat something, Guess whose meal he eats? He eats a meal prepared by the witch. The witch offers to make him a meal. And he sits there and he eats the meal. He actually eats a meal prepared by a sorcerer. Why is the Bible telling us that? What's the big deal about that? I mean, if you go home and read the rest of the chapter, you're going to see like five verses are devoted to this meal that Saul has with the witch. What's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. And I've preached this from the pulpit before. Remember, I've told you in the past that in the Bible, eating meals is a big deal. Eating meals is a big deal in the Bible. In the Bible, usually who people ate with signified something. It signified who they were in fellowship with and whose lifestyle they approved of. That's why the Pharisees and the scribes are upset when they see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. You see, in their minds, Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners because he's approving of their sinful lifestyles. They're not stopping and considering how Jesus is doing that to gain influence with these people so he can teach them the gospel. That's also why the Apostle Paul says that when brethren in the local church practice sin and refuse to repent, we're supposed to pull back fellowship and no longer what? No longer even eat with such a one. Eating meals is a big deal in the Bible. And Saul's eating a meal with a witch. He's eating a meal with a wicked woman. He is so desperate and he is so rock bottom at this point in his life that he has sought help from an opponent of God. And he's even sitting at the table breaking bread with her. This is a very disturbing story. <laughs> 
that we find in the book of Samuel. And so here's the final question. What can we learn from this? What can we learn from this very disturbing story in 1 Samuel 28? Well, I'm gonna give you three practical lessons very quickly. First, I think one lesson we learn from this story is this. First, I think we see that sin can take us places that we never thought we could go. I'm gonna repeat that again for emphasis. Sin can take us places that we never thought we could go and would go. And isn't that what he did with Saul? I want you to think about Saul. I want you to remember the Saul that we are introduced to when the book of Samuel opens up. Do you remember that guy? You remember that guy who was very shy? And he was very humble and he's hiding behind the luggage when it's time to anoint him as the king. Remember that guy? Remember the guy who began his reign inspiring Israel and being courageous and being blessed by God to defeat the Ammonites? Do you remember that guy? Here's my question. What happened to that guy? What happened to that humble, courageous, victorious king? Well, here's what happened to that king. That king, by this time, he stopped obeying God. That king has failed to trust God. He has failed to trust God before going out in battles. And he has failed to wipe out the nations that God has commanded him to wipe out. And he has been consumed with jealousy and envy and rage and trying to murder an innocent man. And now that king is in indoor. That king is actually sitting at the table with a witch or a sorcerer. You see, Saul's life can really be summed up with one statement. It can be summed up like this. It was a downward spiral of sin. It was a, down, a downward spiral of sin. You see, sin made Saul's life a mess. Sin just destroyed Saul's life. Sin took Saul places that he probably never thought was possible when when he first became the king. And I want you to know something. Sin will do the same thing to us. Sin will do the same thing to me. And do the same thing to you. That first drink. Smoking that first joint. Visiting that first pornographic website. Flirting with my co-worker. Lying to my parents. And then having to tell more lies to cover, cover up my previous lies. Like in the case of Saul, sin can take us places we never thought we would go. It can destroy our lives. Make a mess of our lives. Begin a downward spiral of sin in our lives. And dig for us some really big holes. That's what it did for Saul. Sin took Saul places he thought he'd never go. He never would have thought when he first became the king that he would end up in indoor. One day, eat, breaking bread with a witch and seeking her help. And you know what he should have done? He should have repented. He should have had a change of heart that led to a change in his life. That would have put him back on the path to God. But let me ask you this. Do we ever find him doing that? You ever find him doing that in this chapter? 
You ever find Saul really repenting? I mean, truly repenting. I'm not talking about telling David, I'm sorry for, for chasing you. And I know I'm wrong and you're innocent and you're going to be the next king. But then a few days later, he turns right back around and keeps trying to kill David. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that. I, I, I'm not talking about that fake stuff. I'm talking about real repentance. I'm talking about real godly sorrow. I'm talking about really trying to reform and change your life. We don't find Saul doing that. You see, if Saul was really trying to change and reform his life when he realized that God was no longer communicating with him and God was no longer giving him counsel, you know what he would have done? He would have dropped to his knees and said, God, please come back in my life. God, I repent. God, forgive me. Please, God, I need you. Please come back in my life again. That's what he would have done. But he doesn't do that. Instead of repenting and seeking help from God, the scripture says he goes and seeks help from a worker of Satan. He goes to Satan before he goes to God. And the question is, what about us? What about me and what about you? I mean, if we're currently harboring sin in our lives, do we understand that the path back to God is not more sin, it's repentance. It's godly sorrow, spiritual reformation, a change of mind that leads to a change in our lives. You see, instead of seeking help from the Lord, Saul goes to a worker of Satan. And we got to ask ourselves, are we going are we going to be different than that? Do we understand the importance of repentance? Do we understand that doing a bunch of charitable works and going to church and taking the Lord's Supper and singing some songs and doing a daily Bible reading schedule? It will never substitute for repentance when we're living in sin. Repentance would have put Saul back on a path to God, but he doesn't repent. He goes to Endor. And because he doesn't repent, I'm going to close with this. God abandons him. God forsakes him. Since Saul forsook God, God forsook him. God abandoned him. God removed himself completely from Saul's life and he became his enemy. Brothers and sisters, hear me carefully. That is the main lesson to take away from this story. That is the main reason why this story has been preserved and revealed in the Bible. If you don't take anything else away from this sermon, take that home with you. That's the main point of this story. And I know that's unfathomable for us to think about. I get it. I get it. We don't like to think of God like that. I understand. I understand that it is unfathomable for us to consider what's on the slide right now. But here the Bible is teaching that. Here the Bible is teaching that there can come a time when God gets fed up. There can come a time when God will abandon those who abandon him. There can come a time when God will forsake those who forsake him and he will stop listening to those who stop listening to him. And that doesn't mean we can't repent and come back to God. We can repent. We've talked about that. We can repent. And that doesn't mean God doesn't always love us and care about us and want us to be saved. All those things are true. I don't deny that. But I'm also saying that from the story we see that if we constantly reject God, if we constantly rebel against God, if we constantly refuse to turn away from our sins, and if we're determined to live our lives doing our own thing, there can come a time when God says, I've had enough. He gets fed up. 
and he'll give up on us. And if you don't believe it from this story, will you at least believe it from what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? And 2 Thessalonians, this is the last place I'm going to go, and then we're going to get ready to close. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10, in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10, Paul says, when talking about wicked people, people who reject God, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, so as to be saved, for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence. Some of your translations say a strong delusion, right? Strong delusion. So that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. What's the Apostle Paul saying there? Well, Paul is saying that what happened to Saul can happen to us. It can happen to me. And it can happen to you. If we reject God long enough, he will give us over. When he sees fit, he'll give us over to our wickedness. He'll give us over to our evil and our sins, and he will remove himself completely from our lives. And so Saul's story in the Old Testament is about to come to an end. And it's about to come to an end with him not having God in his life. And David's story is going to continue with God in his life. The question is, what about your story? What about your story right now? Right now, when it comes to your life story, are you like Saul? Or are you like David? Do you have God in your life? Or do you not have God because you're rebelling against him? If you don't have God in your life this morning, you have a chance to get him in your life. You got a chance right here and right now to get God in your life. Whether that means responding to the gospel for the first time by having faith in the gospel, repenting of your sins, confessing Jesus as Lord and being baptized for remission of sins. Or if you're a Christian and you've gotten off the right path, Get God back in your life by repenting, by doing what Saul should have done. And so if we can help anyone here this morning get God in their life, we want to help you with that right here and right now. Let's stand. Let's sing. Yeah.